Hello and welcome back to another exciting week of Talking With Experts podcast with your host, Chris Cowden. This week I have Lane Kawaka uh, from Hawaii talking to me about uh, passive real estate investing. And um, this guy, he has over uh, 6,300 units and a combined uh, real estate value of $810 million. So to bring him on the podcast and to share his wisdom in real estate, passive income and your money mindset is going to be crucial in helping you develop a stronger business and maybe a little bit more of an understanding of how you can use debt in your business. So I hope you enjoy this episode. He's going to be sharing some tips on how to reduce your tax bill and use your business profits and debt to invest wisely. So Thank you, Lane, for joining me on Talking With Experts podcast this week. I am really excited for this one. This is the first time I've had an investor come on uh, the podcast. So um, please, can you introduce yourself? What are you an expert in? And let's go from there. Yeah, I guess today I currently own 6,000 rental units. Uh, we put together apartment syndications. I do this through my podcast. It's called PassiveCashflow.com. But... Um, I mean, I started way back in 2009 when I was still working my engineering job. My path was this linear path where all taught to go to school, study hard, invest in retirement, all these retail financial products, right? That were all kind of brainwashed to do. Um, bought my first home to live in, which I don't necessarily agree with as good mm-hmm. financial advice. Um, but I decided to rent it out in my early 20s, and that's where I got a taste of cash flow. And then, you know, 12 years later, quit my day job and now, you know, building investments for other people. Yeah. And, and, uh, the simple passive cash flow you I've seen you, you talk about it as your passion project. Uh, so in your, so you, you do real estate investing and you do it really, really well because you've got 6,000 or 4,000 units. Did you say? Uh, six thousand, but you yeah. know, it's just it's just vanity metrics, right? Yeah. At this point, I mean, the hardest thing, and I think we'll try and get in today, is like, well, how the hell do you get started? Yes. Right. The first property is the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you get started? Yeah, I mean, you know, like when I was starting, I was working my full time day job as an engineer, and the first one, I you know just bought a house to live in, you know, but then I just realized I was only home on the weekends because you know, as most young professionals are working on the road for your company, um, I just rented it out, got an old uh, property manager and started to rent it out. And then it wasn't that great of a rental in terms of numbers. That's where I got really sophisticated on like where to buy, what to buy. So like you know, the first thing that we kind of focus on is this thing called the rent-to-value ratio. So we look for properties that are 1% rent-to-value ratio or higher. How do you find the rent-to-value ratio? Well, you take the monthly rents divided by the purchase price. So, you know, like a lot of the places we'll buy out in the Midwest and South of the United States, you know, $100,000 house that rents for $1,000 a month, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And for, so let I know this podcast is mainly for entrepreneurs. So, uh, people that want to grow their business um, and you talk a lot about uh, passive income and cash flow how do you do you, um, how do you find passive income in the business or how do you create an extra income stream for the business yeah yeah so I think 
you know, and most people think about real estate investing. You think of all like the guru stuff where you're flipping houses, and wholesaling houses. We do the complete opposite of that, right? We're passive real estate investors. We just buy and hold. Doesn't take too much time. It is pretty passive for the most part. And this lines up well for, you know, when I was a working professional, you know, I made six figures at my day job. It doesn't make sense for me to screw around wholesaling flipping houses. Mm -hmm. And I suspect for a lot of people listening as entrepreneurs, your highest and best use where you in, is in your business, building that machine first. So, you know, you, I always like a lot of my clients are high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers, dentists. Their highest and best use is at their day job, whether it's mm -hmm. running their dentist practice or playing doctor or engineer. Or I have do have a lot of startup folks or or you know engineers you know making their own business, and it's at that business, right? Mm -hmm. You got to get that wheel going. Um, ultimately, in the beginning, you know when your net worth is under half a million, several million dollars, you're still trading your time for money mm -hmm. at the end of the day from a very high level. But it, I think it's important for people to realize very early, what is your highest and best use? Where are you going to get the highest multiple for your time? Mm -hmm. I mean, flipping houses, wholesaling houses is a pretty crappy ROI in terms of time, in my yeah, opinion, okay. and high risk. So, I mean, look at what you're doing. You know, if, if you truly believe that your business is your best multiple for trading time for money, then do that and pick the passive path in terms of investing. Yeah. So is there, is there anything business owners or new entrepreneurs could do today to create a, an additional passive income stream? What, what advice would you give or what passive income stream is worth investing some time in to get up and running? Yeah. I mean, maybe depending where you are in terms of your net worth and where you have your business set up, if you're starting out in your business, so, and especially if your net worth is under a quarter million, I mean, you've got to make some money first because, you know, real estate investing is capital intensive. Mm -hmm. If you don't have money to invest, you need money, bro. Right? <laughs> this is real estate investing yeah. or passive real estate investing, right? You need money to do this. And therefore, go, go work a day job, go work on your business. You know, that's, that's my advice. Yeah. But as soon as you have, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 to go buy a rental property, you know, 20% down payment. I would say get on that escalator and get that working as soon as possible. Only if that 20 grand wouldn't have better be spent on maybe paid advertising mm -hmm. or a VA, right? Get your business working first before yeah. you start to pass it the best. Uh, so I know you talk a lot about real estate. Uh, do you invest in anything else? Um, I, I like internet businesses too, but I mean, for the most part, I would say 95% of my portfolio is in brick and mortar passive real estate um, because it's a hard asset. You know, I, I don't do paper stocks, you know, stocks, mm -hmm. mutual funds. I don't do any of that type of stuff. I think it's all fake money. Um, but I like real estate because you, know, you get these sweet loans, right? Banks love real estate because it's a hard asset and mm -hmm. it cash flows. And then, and just here in America, and I think all around the world, like the governments give real estate a very good tax treatment. I mean, here in America, you can depreciate the asset, even though the house is still there. 
mm-hmm. you can depreciate that asset. You can take those paper losses to lower your income, your, and especially your passive income too. So, so does that mean then that you uh, can reduce your taxes? You got it. You got it right. I mean, that this is where a lot of my in my doctor clients might make six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars if we employ real estate professional status on their taxes, and there are some hoops to jump through on that, mm-hmm. but they can take the passive losses they get from real estate investments and lower their income, mm-hmm. right? So if we lower them from 700,000 to $400,000, a delta of 300 grand, we effectively save them 150 grand in taxes at the 50% tax mm-hmm. bracket. I mean, it's a, it's a no brainer. And this is, you know, where, where some of the secrets that I discovered, you know, when I started to investing in real estate, I had 11 rental properties in 2015. And then I started mm-hmm. to interact with high net worth investors. I started to realize, you know, this all kind of came together for me. When you pull in the investing with real estate passively, the tax benefits, and then some other higher net worth strategies. I mean, a lot of this stuff is very simple. And it's not something that the average person can't implement. Okay, but it's very counterintuitive to what your parents taught you, your your friends, family, you know, financial planners. For goodness sake, right? They're just <laughs> out there to sell you commission laden products. Mm-hmm. So, so for the average for the average business owner, um, what advice would you have for them that they could take today that would help them generate some more cash flow in their business? Yeah, I mean, first, get your business going, right? Or maybe you should stop doing your business. Maybe you suck at it and you mm. should go work a day job, right? But as soon as you start to have some build up of cash that you don't want to, you, you know, you don't want to sock it into your business. Or once you become a successful entrepreneur, right, where it's kicking off good streams of cash flow there, take that cash flow and buy hard assets such as real estate so you can start to get on the gravy train there. Mm-hmm. Right, so I I kind of take the approach of a bucket system. So what do you do? You know, say somebody has twenty, thirty grand. Well, you go buy a rental property, and you start to get that going. Um, for some of the accredited investors, the guys with a million dollars net worth and greater, that's where um, you know there are other options out there instead of dealing with mm-hmm. <laughs> tenants, termites, and toilets such as syndications and private placements, which I predominantly do today. I don't own rental properties today. I, I own them in forms of syndications and private placements where you're just one passive LP partner. You know, you don't have, you're not a managing member. You don't have that liability. You don't have to a- play asset manager. You don't have to manage the property manager. And then you have, uh, you don't get the loans in your name, which is great for business operators trying to get debt in their business. Uh, why is that just out of curiosity? Well, I mean, you can only encumber yourself with so much debt. Right before your yeah. debt to income ratios go down, um, and you know most people who are good business owners, you use debt effectively to go buy new capital, you know, pay for more marketing, hire hire employees. I mean, it, it, it's it's debt is not an irresponsible thing. It's just the mm-hmm. prudent use of debt. It's a tool, um, but if you're going to use that, use it on your business to make you more money there. But you know, invest in a syndication where you know someone like the syndicator or the general partners are putting the debt in their own personal names. Okay, so you touched on that. Um, I know uh, Robert Kiyosaki says about using debt and using other people's money. Um, 
can you you know, elaborate on that because my financials and your financials are completely different so <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is what separates the you know the average person's viewpoint on money right and this is kind of what i work at simple passive cash flow to kind of educate people you know responsible use of money most people out there you know like the Susie Ormans, dave ramsey they're kind of preaching towards the majority of the population let's just call it the 95 percent of people out there they spend more money than they make they can't keep you know they they just go into debt right mm -hmm. and that you know i think you have to have basic financial skills um I, for some reason, was born with it into a family where we're taught to be very frugal. So a lot of this stuff is kind of ingrained into me. But mm -hmm. I do recognize, as I get a little wiser these days, not everybody is like me. In fact, most people have trouble with this stuff. Um, I did build a free uh, basic financial e-course for people that are kind of at the base level. If you want to get free access to it, they can text the word BASIC to 314-665-1767. You know, if you're somebody who's in bad consumer debt, um, spend more money than you make, you've got to get up to baseline first. Mm -hmm. But the people that work with me are the people, maybe the 5% of people out there, right? Diligent savers. These are the people mm. who put away a boatload to their retirement every year. Um, for those people, they live on a different set of this paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. it's where what they should be doing is putting money to assets that produce income for them, such as rental properties. Yeah. So another case in point, um, the whole argument between, like, I'm not a big fan of buying the house that you live in. The money is better spent elsewhere into assets that tenants are paying down the, the, the mortgage down for you, getting equity built up that way. Yes. But for the 95% of people who suck at money, it, a house is a forced piggy bank for them, and it mm -hmm. forces them to save money. For, so from that perspective, go out and buy a house to live in. But if you're one of the the few, and a lot of podcast people are like that, right? We're more intellectuals. We're actually looking to the growth mindset, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, upward trajectory, if you call it, right? Don't go buy a house to live in because it's kind of a financial drag in your system. You have, your money is higher best use. But as, you, as I'm illustrating, yeah, there's two different paradigms to mm -hmm. financial advice out there. Unfortunately, none of the... The, the financial advice for the, the wealthy follow cuts through the noise of for average 95% of the population. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, and I've always said to myself that I wouldn't want to have a mortgage on a house because that's bad debt. Uh, I'd rather live in a, in a tiny home and buy assets. Like you said, when I get to that point, that, yeah. that way it's an appreciating asset. I agree. Well, well, I mean, let's just say even if we bought, it, it all depends, right? It, if you go into debt, you, you get a 20% interest rate, which is a very high rate. Mm -hmm. One would say, oh, that's bad debt, right? But if I went into the 20% interest rate, but I made 50% of my money in one year, that's a no-brainer. It's technically good debt. So it's mm -hmm. basically an arbitrage game with not only the one investment, but it, holistically. Right. So like, for example, if I took the money that I had in my primary residence and I paid, you know, five, maybe 10 percent, just to use an extreme example on that. Yeah. But elsewhere, I bought four other houses with that money that grew at 20 percent. You know, what is the impact to my net worth? So 
someone has said told me this a, a while back ago and it really kind of encapsulated what I'm trying to you know the paradigm I'm trying to explain here that the wealthy they don't really care about the interest rates and the amount of debt they're in mm-hmm. right that's what normal people think about and you know when normal people think about things typically it's wrong right <laughs> what the wealthy pay attention to is what is the impact to their net worth and how can and you know, so they don't go debt crazy, right? What is the debt service coverage ratio? What is their debt service? Or in terms of like realistically what people can look at, what is their cash flow, right? Because mm-hmm. the cash flow is the oxygen that can keep them alive and hold on to the asset in bad times so that you can increase your your net worth. Net worth, yeah. So um, can you, I think a lot of people talk about net worth can you explain more about what it is? I know, I think I know what it is, but um, for layman terms, for the normal people, for the average people, how do you grow your net worth and, and what is it really? Yeah, and, and you'd be surprised how many people don't know this, but this is the freaking score, guys. This is the most important thing, in my opinion. Like Your net worth is you take all your assets, the stuff you own, maybe you own a house right but then you subtract all the liabilities right so you might have car payments you, you know the, the big loans on your cars the big loans on the, on the house that you live in so it's the total sum if every if you took everything you own and you paid all your debts and you liquidated everything this is your net worth mm-hmm. and i told people like some for some reason people still don't understand right i bet and i basically tell them like Hey man, if you had kids and somebody kidnapped your kids, how much money could you scrounge up pretty quickly? Like, <laughs> that's your net worth. Yeah, um, it, just like a profit and loss statement. The pro, the end profit is your net worth. So sort of think you're. Yeah. Well, a profit and loss statement is more like your P and Ls are more like your how your business is running in that mm-hmm. snapshot in that year. This is more like overall score. Mm-hmm. Right, the accumulation of your profit and loss for that year, plus all like the the stuff that has been building in the bank, or maybe debts that have been building up too. Yeah, your your assets and your liabilities. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that was worth clearing up just in case people didn't know what it was. Um, so, and one of the bits from your worksheet, you you talked about how to never pay capital gains again. How how for all those people that are investing in whatever they're investing and they're they're getting capital gains how do they avoid paying those yeah i mean invest in tax advantage assets right where you have a lot of good tax laws on your side so if you're investing in crypto or stocks you're screwed there ain't nothing to hide out there right you're fighting a war on a barren waste field and you're just you're just you're just you know, duck hunting at that point, <laughs> you're sitting duck. Um, and this is why, I mean, I'm not really particularly like apartments or real estate, but it's one thing that, like I said, you can get good debt on, but you can also have, you know, the tax advantage and mm-hmm. good favoring. The way this works is, you know, at least here in America, and I think this works many places around the country or around the world, is that the tax system is kind of written where you can depreciate the asset over a certain lifespan. Here in America, you know, mm-hmm. you can deduct a rental or rental property, the building improvement over 27 years. So what they're saying is on paper, you can take 127th of the value of that building improvement 
and take that as a paper loss. A lot of times that can offset what you made in that investment, driving you down to essentially nothing, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. It's just a paper loss. It doesn't, you still made money, mm -hmm. but you drove that down. So you, your effective, you know, your, how much money you made and pay taxes on that was nothing. Okay. So, so, so you, you can call you, it a phantom loss. You can yeah. call it a paper loss. It's all pretty much the same. So you say that the asset depreciates more than it really will to earn more money? Well, I don't know how much it depreciates, but that's what the IRS says it is. So I'm okay. going to take it, right? <laughs> yes. And now, now like the tax advantage have gotten even better after 2018. Now you're able to do what's called a cost segregation. So basically get an engineer to do up this report who gives it all to your CPA. And now you can, instead of that, you know, taking it, depreciating over 27 long years, mm -hmm. you can take often a third of the whole loss in the first year, creating a huge, huge loss. Yes. And now if you can implement different real estate professional status on your personal taxes, now you've kind of unlocked a mother load. Now you can possibly take that loss and offset other gains in your businesses or your other income. And that is where this stuff gets extremely powerful. Mm. And this is what you teach in all your courses. Is that correct? Um, it's all free on my website, right? Yeah. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. Again, you know, I'm not a CPA or a yeah. lawyer, but you've got I've, a pretty good track record. I mean, I, I just do it myself and I use professionals to do my paperwork for me, right? Mm -hmm. But I always tell my investors, it's your guys' job to empower yourselves with this basic knowledge so that you can guide your professions. The problem is most CPAs don't know how to do this stuff, which is why they're working their freaking jobs. They haven't mm -hmm. figured out how to yeah. get out of this stuff, right? Yeah. And the good ones out there, the one, the 5% of them that are halfway decent, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit more work them to do it this way mm. right so i mean i think a lot of entrepreneurs out there who didn't like to work for another person myself included i just did it the easy way right so i don't blame a cpa for just doing it the easy way mm -hmm. if my client is not pushing me on it they're not they're not um sophisticated enough to have me do it this way mm -hmm. so, so you, you've simplified the process and you it's all on it's all on the website for people to to learn and only the 5% will do that. Right, right. I mean, of the 5%, who will read a more than a 500 or a thousand word article? Not many, right? <laughs> for the for the few, I mean, that's why I created Simple Passive Cashflow because you know, the mission is that there's all these hardworking professionals and, you know, business entrepreneurs out there. You know, we're the ones paying our fair share of taxes out there. It's not the wealthy like us. I mean, my taxes are on there. Go look at it. Mm. I don't pay that much taxes. I bury my income down to almost nothing. I think last year I just showed $25,000 of income, which is less than school teachers out there. Yeah. Um, so how, did you, certainly, how so, did you do that for other people that want to do the same strategy as you uh, to, to pay less taxes? How did you Well, do unfortunately, that? you got to get in the game. You got to buy real yeah. estate, right? Yeah. It, if if you don't invest in how the you know the the country wants you to invest, mm -hmm. you don't you gotta pay taxes like everybody else, dude. Yeah, and right? you get the like you said before, you get the royalty because you're 
real estate investor. Right. I mean, I just take the I here in America, the IRS sets the tax code. I just follow what they want me to do. Mm-hmm. Right. There's only a couple pages on how normal people pay tax, but there's a boatload of pages on ways to get deductions such as real estate. Right. Mm. Yes. Very smart. So I know you have the podcast and you, you, you have the business. What three actionable steps can you share with my audience today to help them grow market or scale their business? Yeah. Number one, um, figure out where you are, you know, have some self-reflection. Are you at a stage of in your, your business where you have built your machine? If not put all your time, energy, money, into that don't passively invest in real estate put money into that um, if you're not going anywhere maybe quit go get a job right so you can make some money there to put into a you know passive real estate investing that's what i did i worked my engineering job on the side of doing this mm-hmm. um, but at that point i mean you know you've got a at some point, people who stick at it and are halfway decent become successful, start to get some money, get into real estate investing as soon as possible. Or if you're already, you know, been very successful, learn about syndications and private placements. Mm-hmm. Um, but just get educated. I mean, it's and and what's hard out there is like a lot of like the free stuff out there is is you know more education for the broke guys out there, right? Guys are mm-hmm. trying to get out of debt, um, and that's what simple passive cash flow was all about. Um, and for a little bit of advice from the marketing perspective, uh, so I started my podcast back in 2016 because a lot of my friends were asking me, well, like, how do you buy these houses? You don't even visit, you know, like, it seems like you're super hands off <laughs> um, and it sounds really cool. And none of my friends would listen to me. So I just recorded the damn thing. Um, and mostly because I wanted to kind of teach like my kids who are born, yeah. you know, yeah. one day. Um, but like the podcast started as a means to teach people how to buy rental properties. And that's what the first dozens of podcasts were about. But as I became more of an accredited investor, started to getting more involved on this tax, the, the infinite banking tactics that we do, the syndications we do, um, the topic matter has changed. So it's really mm. turned into like a follow my journey. It's very authentic, uh, voice to what people say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And especially in, our industry, real estate, like real estate is just a bunch of marketers, fake people. So the voice stands out. And I, mm. you know, the mission, like, as I said, is like legitimately to kind of help people get started doing this type of stuff. And it's not that hard. Um, so from a marketing perspective, you know, maybe I don't want to, I'll toot my own horn, I guess, but <laughs> like, I guess the, qual- the quality of the content was good and people liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, today, most of our folk coming in are referrals from other people who just word of mouth. Yes. And, but it took like, it took a few years to really get that steam. You know, I started mm-hmm. in 2016. I was getting a lot of like emails maybe six months after starting. Like, you know, they just kind of started to trickle in like, Hey man, I listened to your first six podcasts and, um, I actually went on bought a rental property <laughs> and, for me back then, I was, you know, that was still working my day job at the time. That's what really kind of molded me to like keep doing the damn thing. If not, yes. I probably would have given up. I mean, for people who've been doing their podcasts more than a year or two, you know, around the first year, 
you kind of get a little bit of like discouraged at that point. But mm. it's if you should be seeing some like people to reach out and give you positive feedback. Yeah. If not, you probably suck at it, and you probably should go find something else. Yeah. But I I think I was just lucky enough that it resonated with people, and it kind of kept me going. And like mm-hmm. they say, that there's always that concept of the third season. I mean, it takes three years for you to actually get up enough steam, and then people finally hear about you. Yes. Right in the okay. third season, and that's when things kind of for me too, like in the third year, that's things really kind of picked up, took, took a life of its own. Yeah, so you mentioned a lot there about just being consistent and um, yeah, mainly being consistent and just keep going. But also, um, I guess if it's not working out, quit while you're ahead and do something else or um, get, a, get a job and find yeah. other ways to generate money so you can invest in hard assets right i mean a lot of our clients they just they don't like their day jobs but they they do it because they realize if they just invest off the beaten path Mm -hmm. out of these main street um you know financial products where they're you know they're getting killed right with all these fees from all these financial Mm -hmm. planners all these brokerages all these hidden fees if they just stop doing that stuff they, you know, a lot of our guys, we can get out financially free in five to 10 years or less. So yeah, they may not like that day job, mm-hmm. but that may be the best ticket than to go the entrepreneur path that they eventually fizzle on a burnout in two to three years. Yeah. And it because will, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And it will fund their, their real life. Yeah. It will, it will help them build their net worth over time if they, they get if they have the cash then they can invest in assets and yeah it's given me it give me a few ideas for the future because i'm young yeah these, these are thanks for coming on um you said about referrals are there any other ways that you attract people into your business or that you advise people do to attract people or clients into the business i uh, so for us it's very difficult to get people to refer people because it's, you know, we're kind of the alternative world, right? Like we're not going to like, some guy is not going to go on their LinkedIn and be like, I found this cool site that tells me how to be financially free. So I can like tell you guys that F off when I get <laughs> my job. Right. Like, so, I mean, it, it, in most cases that's not going to be your guy's business that tells, you know, your boss to go fire himself. Right. Mm. Um, so it should be, I think I have it kind of tough. So I've had to like kind of bribe people in a way. So we give them, we have a lot of e-courses. Mm-hmm. So we'll give their referrals um, e-courses as a thank thank you. And we'll give them e- um, e-courses too. As mm-hmm. we'll, un- we'll unlock it in their accounts, their member site for them. So that always kind of like greases the wheel. And then it's always for them, they like it because then they don't have to teach their friend all about remote investing or syndications or trade lines all these these things because just go freaking do this e-course yourself right yeah and so we kind of make it easy for them um but yeah i think you definitely have to like a lot of people especially when it's like out out there like which i think is something that we do they don't really want to stick their neck out there I mean, a lot of my friends that started when I did, like they didn't tell any of their friends that they were buying a rental property 2,000 miles away because they're fearful that it wasn't going to work out. And the worst thing that people want to do is look stupid in front of their friends. Mm. So not until the thing, you know, 
several years later when it's kicking off cash flow, then they tell their friends. But by that point, it's too late for your friends. Mm. Right? They're kind of too late to the party. Yeah. Um, what do you think is what do you think are the main reasons people don't start their entrepreneur career or start a business? Is it uh, for that reason the the embarrassment or the rejection or the failure? I mean, most people don't do anything, so it's just a human nature thing. Um, I think if somebody is out there kind of thinking of their their business, I mean, I'm a big proponent to working your your job. Um, I, I've re- I've done a video on this at simplepassivecashflow.com slash quit. Mm-hmm. I've I diaried a lot of the thought thought process that I went through and activities that I journaled kind of finally coming to the decision to quit my engineering job. Mm-hmm. But I come from the camp of work your day job as, as long as possible, especially if you make more than 50 grand a year. Mm-hmm. If you make less than that, yeah, I mean, you don't make that much money, so whatever, right? But like most of our clientele, they're work professional jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they may not like it, but I think that that is the best way that you can you know, it creates a uh, environment where you're very lean with your time. You don't have time for all this nonsense. So you very, it forces you to create these good systems and practices. The the money coming in from your day job is putting food on the table. And that way it's, it's allowing you to run your business without a desperate attitude. It, it makes deal making with affiliates, other businesses better. Mm-hmm. It allows you to work with clients better because you're not desperate. You're not going to yeah. create bad practices for you. And let's face it, most of the time, your business is going to fail. It's going to go down. Um, so, you know, hold on to the edge of the pool before you dive in. To me, I mean, you shouldn't, you, you know, the, what happened to me is like I created systems because I had to do my engineering job on the side. Yes. And I what I, I, I started off working for a private company, which is very high stress, um, took a lot of time. And I went to jobs that were a lot easier, more cruise. Mm-hmm. So after a while, it was just kind of titrating down to, you know, the eventual thing. But that took me several, several years to get past. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably held on to the edge of the pool longer than I should have. But it was a smart decision. And yeah. There's, there's a lot of things that hopefully the listeners are taking in. Um, yeah. I've just got one, two more questions for you, if that's okay. Um, what did you struggle with in the past that you know other people struggle with right now that would help them in the next stage of business? Is it a mindset thing? or? Well, I mean, kind of going back to what we're talking about, I mean, I think there's a culture out there in entrepreneur land or entrepreneur land where you have to burn the boats and you know go mm-hmm. all in. I, don't, I think that's an ego thing because people want to, they want to put that on their social media. That I, I told my boss to F off. I'm going to do this dream. Well, you know what? That sounds cool. But like three months later, six months later, you're just broke, <laughs> right? Yeah. You have no money. I mean, it's 2021 now. When I see somebody on LinkedIn as an entrepreneur, I know they broke couldn't find a job, mm. right? You know, it's not cool to be, I mean, to me, it's not cool to be an entrepreneur, but for some people, they still think it's like a, 
it's like a badge of honor mm. for most people. Um, but I, I, I don't let that ego thing kind of like force you down a, a road and kind of make you not put food on the table if mm. you already have a decent paying job. Yeah, that's smart. Okay. Um, so that's kind of that almost finished. Uh, I think we should end it here. I think it's been a, an amazing episode. I want to give you some time now to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Um, anything about your podcast, the floor's yours. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you guys want to, what I'm giving for you, your folks is the remote investor uh, rental e-course for free. Uh, if you guys want to get access to that, text the word remote to 314-665-1767. Check out the podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, Passive Real Estate Investing, the website, simplepassivecashflow.com. Uh, and I guess, you know, we talked a lot about today about, you know, entrepreneurs burning the boats, you know, go read my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash quit before you kind of do something stupid there. But I, I am definitely a proponent for people creating some kind of side gig. I, I, even from my high net worth, high paid clients, you know, to me, it's a great way to get extra deductions, right? Pay for things, pass it off as a business expense that you would have done otherwise, like your computers, your cell phones, car mileage, things like that. You can possibly write off depending on what kind of business you have. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like, you know, there's, there's, if you're doing a business, there should be some kind of personal, like, satisfaction that you get out of it if not you shouldn't be doing the damn thing mm-hmm. so but make no mistake you need to realize what your past and best uses and for a lot of people in my tribe it's at their day jobs and thank you so much again for listening to this week's episode of talking with experts podcast with myself chris Cowden, and lane Kawaka. this was a really interesting episode because i admit i don't know that much about money and understanding how to use it um, when I eventually get my own business and start investing. This is going to be a a crucial lesson to look back on. So I hope you got a lot out of it. Lane did mention to look at private placements, syndications, rental properties, and to hold real estate because that is the best way to simply get passive income. So Lane is the host of Simple Passive Cashflow podcast i recommend you look at it it's a top 50 financial podcast and also go over to simplepassivecashflow.com to have a look at more of the resources that lane shares on real estate passive income and generating generational wealth i hope you enjoyed this episode please leave a thumbs up uh, on our youtube channel or review to the podcast leave a review to the podcast that really helped me understand how I can improve this podcast and get more guests with exceptional quality on this podcast for you. Uh, Take care and I'll speak to you next week.